Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for being on, man. Uh, Absolutely. I know we had to reschedule this like three times, but we are here in person. Um, I'm super excited because I, you know, the the few meetings that I've sat in with you, um, you know, have for me, I think you've got a product that if we can get it out there could help with affordable housing or attainable housing, whatever we're calling it these days. So right. super happy to have you on. And yeah. I just, I want you to kind of just dig into it okay. and it's absolutely pleasure. Hit me with all the data and, you know, hopefully somebody hears this and can truly see this product for, for what it is. Cause I think that holistic plan that you detailed in the, the meeting here in Bayfield was like, this is it. Like guys, mm-hmm. this is, this is it. We could actually do something like this and let's figure it out. So, uh, yeah, I mean, so give us, give us the two minute skinny, you know, okay. what, what do we got? So timber age systems, and this is really fun, you know, as you, as you start something up and maybe it starts as a hobby. I think sometimes it has to, you just have to have, you have to have something going on. Right. So this started in our garage, but it was, it was very much, um, trying to figure out how to address three main problems. It was, it was, what do we do with the forests that we're living in and around because of the fire and the disease and all the bugs and that kind of stuff. Um, the second main thing was, you know, I had, my kids had some great teachers and they're about three years apart. It was very seldom that that same teacher was around for my youngest that my oldest loved. And it was just because it was such a hard place to stick. This region is a, is a difficult place to be able to put roots in. And I think that's, I mean, the third one was really just this idea of saying, man, we've got a lot of really skilled people that could be doing something. Uh, and I don't mean to downplay this, but something more meaningful than seasonal work. People with college degrees that are, that are waiting tables. I waited tables. I nothing wrong with it, <laughs> but that's probably not what they went to college for. Sure. Right. And, and so, but when that's the only thing that's available and they're probably working that maybe as a second or third job, like like we're not doing something right. And so the intersection of kind of those three things, and I think especially this idea of, of being anchored. So we talked about in our early missions, this idea of what would it be like to create an anchoring sense of place and make that attainable for people? So we say home, but it has like lots of meaning. Home is, is more than just the place where you like walk in and drop your keys off and throw your stuff on the floor. It's, it's this jumping off point that when it's messed with, I think it, it radically affects the way that people work, the, the confidence that they have in approaching relationship and jobs and all the other things. And so when people don't feel like they have a good solid place to jump from, I think we're messing with, with what a community can do. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at the transient kind of nature of this region, there's a lot of neat people that come in trying to figure out how to make it work. And, and a lot of them leave and you're in real estate. Yeah. You see it. It's actually one of the reasons why it's good to be in real estate here. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. There's, <laughs> there's pros and cons to right? that. Too, I mean, but. so, uh, so there, a lot of it was that piece. And, and I spent um, four years of my life traveling, doing some consulting stuff and, and while it was great work and I loved the people that I was doing and the money was fabulous, I think I was, 
I, I felt like a hypocrite because I knew there was need here and I was getting on a plane and flying and giving the best of myself to communities that I'd never see those people again. Sure. It was just such a strange way to spend weeks, like go in and run these workshops and meet all these people and, and then go, I'm exhausted and I'm going to fly back and see my wife and my kids for a weekend and I'm going to do it again. And, and there's, there's probably something better, even if it doesn't pay the same or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, so it was just all of those, all of those problems were kind of running around in my head and Timber Age was really an outcome of me um, visiting with this really great group of advisors that that um, I've been blessed to have in my life, and just talking about, you know, I found I think a way to be able to use ponderosa pine. So like that's the, you know, the, the forest side of it. It was like we're never going to have healthy forests unless someone has something to do with ponderosa pine. You got to figure out well why don't people use it? Yeah. And so, you know, not to go too far into the wood science stuff, but it's just it's just really not very good to use in a traditional building sense with dimensional lumber. But we've got all of this technology out there. And, and I was talking with a gentleman, um, Ed Mooney was his name. And we were just brainstorming and he had heard this special about cross laminated timber on NPR. And so I like started geeking out on it and I was like, Oh my gosh, like this, this could be a way to be able to use the trees that are all around us that uh, that are in these forests that are overcrowded and you know prone to disease and all these other things and and so then it just became kind of an obsession and I think people were very tired of me talking about cross laminated timber but I was thinking <laughs> about it for several years and uh, Justin Osborne was um, was one of the one of the catalysts where I think it was December of 2017 he was like dude I can't believe the people paying 350 bucks a square foot for the junk. He's like, it's, we got to do something different. And I was like, okay, well, maybe we, maybe we try and do a spec house or something. Well, then you learn, like, when you use, if you think about it, um, if you're using Legos to build something, it's way easier to build a really nice-looking Lego project if you have instructions. Sure. And it's, uh, <laughs> like, so building with cross-laminated timber is a lot more like building with Legos. And so you got to get, all sorts of stuff done ahead of time from a design standpoint. And we were like, how do we pay for that? Like no one's going to, you can't get a mortgage for architecture fees, right? It's a soft cost. And so, so we were like, okay, um, what if we wrote a grant? And, and so I decided in January, like two weeks before the grant was due to write a wood innovation grant with the forest service, had a group of people, Andrew Hawk, um, a good friend of mine and a fellow biologist and stuff was one of them. And he ended up being the co-founder of Timber Age. So he helped me kind of work through this thing and we submitted it. And I really didn't think anything was going to happen. We formed the company just so that we could submit it in the sure. name of the company. And, uh, and I was training for the iron horse and I was riding up Edgemont Hill on my bike. And I got a phone call from the local forest service representative, Tim Reeder. And he was like, Hey, guess what? Like they're going to give you 243,000 bucks to try and build the first cross laminated timber structure in Southwestern Colorado. And I was like, wow. Oh my gosh, what the heck am I doing? Had like every week booked that summer, you know, um, in Arizona doing consulting work. And, but then it just got, it got real fast. Yeah. And so we, we started with this idea of thinking we were going to build cross laminated timber 
what it really boils down to is that's not what people need. People need durable, modular, locally produced panelized homes. And so that's like, that's what we do. What, so there's a lot more value that we're adding than, than just throwing some boards together to make a panel. Yeah. So real quickly, what, what is cross laminated timber? So cross laminated timber, um, or CLT for short is a way of really solving some of the problems of what it looks like to build with dimensional lumber. So all of us have sorted, you know, the, the bent two by fours, or the crooked two by fours sure. out at, at the, um, Home Depot or whatever. So, so if you just try and use the board, it's, it's, it doesn't want to stay straight. So we've solved that through starting to do laminations or glue things together. And most of us have seen glue lamps. So we've seen these beams that, but they only have bearing surface or bearing strength in one direction. So we set things on them, but we don't necessarily build walls and floors out of it. Gotcha. So it was a way of taking that same idea of using the glue and multiple boards that tend to kind of equalize out and become much more dimensionally stable and do that in a panel form. Because you're, and so you're crossing. That's green. right. Okay. And so now we take a, a layer of boards, put some glue on it and then go 90 degrees with another layer of boards and then go 90 degrees back. And then, so they're usually odd, odd numbers of layers, but because you've got the odd numbers of layers and you've got essentially this desire for the wood to move um, but randomly distributed throughout the panel, you end up with this thing made out of ponderosa pine that's that's accurate with, you know within a tenth of a millimeter hmm. and it stays pretty much that way. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So that ends up looking somewhat like a two by four or two by six or some other dimensional piece of lumber, or is that no, it that? ends up looking like kind of plywood on steroids. Okay. So like our our panels are either when we start with a raw panel, it's either four feet across by 10 feet tall or five feet across by 10 feet tall. Okay. So, you know, it's a, it's a 300 pound block of wood that's yeah. three inches thick. Okay. And okay. so, and that's really small because cross laminated timber at kind of the mid rise and high rise scale are eight or 10 feet wide by 40 feet long or yeah. 60 feet long. But that ends up becoming, or, you know, whatever you cut that into, that ends up becoming the entire exterior or interior wall, correct? Or yeah, okay. wall or um, most often it's a floor plate. Okay. So it allows people to be able to replace um, all of the steel and girder systems and all that kind of stuff that they would use. So, so if you're doing it on a commercial scale, what you get is a much lower part count. You get a much lower embodied carbon and you get faster assembly times gotcha. because it's people running out there with screw guns, basically putting stuff together. And so you don't need as much of the ironwork side and a lot of those kinds of things. So, so that's kind of, but we realize that's not what people need here. Sure. Yeah. And, and so I, I don't know exactly where that fits into the story, but you know, when I started thinking about it, I was like, well, maybe we just make cross laminated timber here. And so that was some of the first things that I did because I'd, moved here to, to run a wood processing facility in Mancus, um, Western Excelsior. And so I started talking to the equipment manufacturers and all that. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this stuff is freaking huge. Like, I don't think we can make a plant for less than $7 million. And it's probably 10 or 20,000 square feet. Mm, Jesus. And, and I had people that were like, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe we'd invest in that. And I was like, I don't think I would invest in that. <laughs> like, yeah. like I'm talking to people and they have no idea what it is. 
So no one's going to know how to design with it, engineer for it. No one's making that kind of building in this region at some point, perhaps. But it was so clear that that we had to figure out a way to kind of like put our toe in the water. And so it was all of this has been about this idea of of kind of how do you de-risk something? And um, there's this guy named Eric Reese that wrote The Lean Startup. I don't know if you've ever read that book, but I didn't. I mean, I was, I've been an operations guy for the last 20 years. And so I really didn't have lots of wisdom around startups, but, but for me to like do something huge, especially in an industry where I knew how difficult it was to have log truck drivers and, and how dangerous it was. Like there's, there were all these things that were like, that's a huge bet yeah. Um, to try and just go big like that. And so it really became about this idea of, he calls it a minimum viable product. So it's like, what is the the quickest, cheapest way to be able to test a hypothesis? And so TimberAge, kind of since the beginning, has been about a series of experiments with a bigger picture in mind. But it's like, what's the thing we have to test right now to know whether or not the idea stays viable? Mm. And so... You know, it started with this idea of, okay, well, can we make cross-laminated timber? Well, we we are not going to be able to experiment with making 8-foot by 10-foot panels. Sure. Or, I mean, 8-foot by, you know, 40-foot panels. But we could make something smaller. And so we were like, well, do you – okay, we got to press this stuff together. How do you do that? Well, how do people press things together? What's the cheapest way to do that? It's a vacuum bag. Mm. So people have been making veneers forever, you know, mm-hmm. guitars and all sorts of cool stuff with vacuum bags. And so we we're like, okay, well, let's – how much is one of those? Oh, look, we can, you know, go to vacupress.com and, oh, look, they're like, they have a return bag that we can get for this much. And it just happened to be five foot by 10 foot that you could actually put that size panel in there. Okay. But when we started talking, so we get the grant, I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, but we okay. get the grant and, uh, and so we start, basically the grant doesn't pay for equipment, but it pays for people to think about this project. Okay. Which, which was really kind of the idea because we were like, okay, someone has to design it. Like we have to do all this stuff and those are all soft costs that we have to pay for up front. And so the grant, when we wrote it, had basically three pieces. It was build the first cross-laminated timber structure in southwestern Colorado, okay? Use at least one panel made from locally harvested ponderosa pine. And then the third piece was um, get at least 50% of the design and engineering expertise locally sourced. Cause we were like, we need to, we're trying to like seed right mm-hmm. this area. And, and it allowed us to have conversations with bankers and, uh, insurance people and real estate folks and like builders and all these. So we probably did a hundred different in- interviews with people to try and understand. And when we talked to them about buying a, a eight foot by 40 foot panel from Montana or, Quebec or wherever it was, you know, they were like, okay, so cross laminated timber. And I was like, yeah, have you heard of it? Oh yeah. It's like glue lamps. Right. And I was like, actually it's not, it's, it's something different. And so we'd explain it and they were like, oh, so it's kind of like a great big Lego block. And I was like, yeah, kind of. Okay. That's pretty cool. How big is it again? Eight foot by 40 foot. Okay. So it's like, you need a semi. I was like, yeah, yeah. You probably need a semi to get it here. How much does it weigh? 12,000 pounds, you know, <laughs> they were like, seen a crane, mm-hmm. pretty good size crane. Yeah. How much does it cost? You know, it was like 4,000 bucks. It was like, and so everybody was like, that's really cool. There's no way I'm an experiment with a 12,000 pound, $4,000 
eight foot by 40 foot panel that I've never thought about using before in my life. Right. Mm -hmm. It was like, that sounds pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. No takers. No takers. And so, so where we thought in this grant that we might have someone else manufacture the stuff, we were like quickly finding that it was going to be really difficult for anyone to think about using it. And but then it was like, you know, we had the bag in the in the garage. And, mm-hmm. and so we were like trying to find wood and we were trying to figure out what glues do you use? And I mean, it was just, it was, it's kind of hysterical to think how far we've come in three and a half years. But but we make the first five foot by 10 foot panel and I'm showing pictures of it, you know, because we're still talking with people about this because we had a bag that could make a five foot by 10 foot. We were like, well, you know, we figured out how to do a two by two and then we just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually we found enough wood Oh my gosh, it's so funny, dude. We drove, we're like, where do we get dry ponderosa pine that was locally harvested? Mm-hmm. Because we don't want to make a panel that we can't put in whatever it is. We sure. still didn't know what the hell we we're going to make, but we we got to figure out, okay. And so the only place we could find dry ponderosa pine was at Stoner Top Lumber um, outside of Dolores over mm-hmm. there. So we go over to Stoner Top and... We're like, we load this truck up and we come back with this load of lumber. And we were like, this is amazing, you know? And, and we buy a $600 DeWalt planer. And the first time we planed enough wood to, so three layers thick to make a five foot by 10 foot panel, it took us six hours. It took us six hours (laughs) with this, with this planer. (laughs) And we were like, yeah, that ain't, that ain't going to cut it, is it? You know? So, and then, you know, they're. I, I like the folks at um, Raglan's. They're good folks over there. But their their sawmill has some pretty good wobble. And so the boards were an inch thick, but by the time you like got them s- smooth on each side, you know, it was like 11 sixteenths. So we build this two and a quarter inch thick panel that's five feet by 10 foot. And you could like stand on it. It was really fun. But if you jumped, it was like bending and bouncing. And so I'm just using this story to kind of illustrate all these, it, you know, iterations that we've been through. And we were like, son of a gun, we're going to have to make five layer panels. And then we're talking with this guy, Andrew Young, Dr. Andrew Young up at the fort and, and the fort has been awesome. And Andrew Young has been incredible on this journey. So like right now we have a group of six seniors that are doing their seminar project, just understanding like what we're doing and breaking our stuff. And so they're spending their entire senior year working on timber age stuff. It's super cool. That's awesome. It's pretty cool. Yeah. But he does, he starts doing the modeling because I'm, I'm a biologist or ecologist, you know, I'm not a, an engineer. And he's like, hey, guys, I think if you could make the layers three, an inch thick, and it was three inches thick, like you would have this really, really solid floor panel that people could use. And we were like, oh, gosh, that means we have to buy a sawmill. Mm. And so we were like, where do we get a sawmill, you know? So we go through this whole thing and we have this POS wood miser shipped from Maine here that was supposedly refurbished by the time we finished with it. I mean, we'd replaced every part on it, but we could make our own boards. We started studying how long does it take for the board to, to dry? How much does it shrink? You know? And so we, we were starting to kind of build this idea of, um, of what it would take to actually manufacture here. And it was clearly going to be at a completely different scale, which was actually good because we were like, okay, well, if you could make, these panels in a thousand foot garage, you could clearly make it in a bigger one. Sure. But it, but everyone can use a thousand square foot garage mm-hmm. and you can find them anywhere you want. And so this idea 
kept evolving of what would it look like to do distributed manufacturing with small factories that you could stand up almost overnight with equipment that didn't have two-year lead times and didn't cost, you know, $800,000 a pop. Mm. And, and really the kicker was when we finally talked with some of these architects and designers and, and they were like, you guys are making some panels? And we were like, yeah. They're like, how big are they? We're like, I'm five foot by 10 foot. So you could like put it in the back of a truck or a trailer. Yeah. And two guys could pick it up. Yeah. And they were like, I think I got an idea for it. And so we were like, okay, well, that's pretty cool. Cause that is an entirely different conversation than we had when what we thought we were going to do is just broker cross laminated timber and try and introduce it to the region. Yeah. And how, how far, how many years are you into timber age at this juncture when this, I, so I would say that, um, I started, so I, I started full time for free in 2019, mm-hmm. the, the beginning of 2019. And so I would say this is a year into it. Gotcha. Okay. A year into it. And at that point now we're like, um, we have the Osborne outdoor kitchen as kind of the, is being designed. We've found this, um, amazing partnership that we, that we have and really hold dear with Clark and Chapin architects. Um, so Dustin Chapin is based in, in, uh, the Seattle area and Matt Clark grew up in Montezuma County. And so he's, he's back here, but they're both just super gifted architects and really progressive and want to make a difference kind of in the world. And so they became the designers for this project and, and we started designing where it was like, well, what if we made five foot by 10 foot panels? Like, could we just build the whole thing out of it? And that was like, Oh my gosh, we got to figure out how to make five foot by 10, like, like actually make them. Sure. And so not just one off. That's right. And it cannot take six hours every time. Uh, And so then we go down the journey of like, okay, so, and we always knew, I'm sorry. We always knew that we wanted to try and, and make panels for houses. mm -hmm. And, and that's actually like another thing where you're like, okay, no one's making houses out of this in North America. Like, why not? But, but there were a few people doing, and then you, and every time I looked and found a YouTube video or whatever, it was this thing called passive house. And I was like, what the heck is passive house? I'm not a building scientist. Um, <laughs> it's so funny. Cause you're like, okay, I'm like this ecologist turned industrial engineer for 20 years. I didn't even go through that part, but so I've been in manufacturing for 20 years. I'm trying to figure out how to do this. And, and all these people are talking about passive house. I was like, okay, well, I, I guess I better like learn this. And I worked, I worked on framing crews and stuff when I was in high school and college. So I, that was kind of my summer jobs, but so I wasn't um, ignorant of the building process, but I didn't know how to build CLT. So I go and get this passive house certification just so I can understand it. And all of a sudden I'm just like geeking on, okay, the CLT is like this little piece of it, but if Mm -hmm. we want to make houses, there's got to be way, way more to the entire system and approach than just making CLT. Sure. So, so I'm like thinking about, okay, how do we make enough panels that we could actually put this thing together. And it was beautiful that it was the outdoor kitchen because it didn't have to be insulated. So we didn't have to figure everything out. We mm-hmm. just had to figure out how to get panels to go together. Mm-hmm. And, and then we're like, okay, well, we can't make them fast enough. Okay. So we like need, we need a bigger planer. Okay. Gosh, the bigger planer needs three phase power. Oh, okay. We've got this like thousand square foot shop, you know, outside of Ignacio 
it does not have three phase power and it's going to be like 50 K to like bring three phase power all the way to that place. So I was like, okay. It's, so then we were talking with some other guy and he's like, well, I just, I just bought a generator. And I was like, okay. So I like start looking at generators and, and lo and behold, I find this like hundred kilowatt unit that came out of a hospital in Albuquerque on Craigslist. Hmm. And, and the, so anyway, like one tenth of the size brand new from Honda was like, 4,000 bucks. And this one was 6,000 bucks, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it was like, and we can run a small village, you know, off of it. it was pretty awesome. So, so then we're like, well, how do we, I mean, so it was just, it was hysterical because we were running into Albuquerque and we're like driving back with generators, right. That, that are, you know, from 1983 or whatever it was. And then we're like, well, how do we, we need a fuel tank. So then we're like out on these like farmers, you know, places finding these unused fuel tanks and dragging those back and, and just cobbling this whole thing together where all of a sudden it's like, okay, we can actually plane wood, enough wood now in 15 minutes instead of six hours. And so we were the whole time kind of designing what does production look like? How small can we keep it? And, and we realized that this idea of, well, if we could get everything to kind of happen in like 20 minutes or less, that would be a pretty amazing you probably make a million dollars of CLT out of a thousand square feet in a year, mm. which is crazy to think about, right? If you ran two shifts and all the other things. Mm. So anyway, it was just like, it kept us saying, we don't have to go big, um, but we definitely needed more money. And so we're going through incubators, we went through next cycle, which is a um, Colorado department of public health and environment kind of incub incubator for, um, for people that are doing stuff with the environment. And then we went through Southwest Colorado Accelerated Program for mm -hmm. Entrepreneurscape. We've like raised money along the way. So I think there's, we've probably raised, I don't know, half a million bucks or something so far. But the really cool thing, so I'm, again, I'm kind of jumping around, but I'm just talking. Um, I'm pretty sure that we can build basically like a house a month, probably two to three houses a month that are almost passive house ready. They would be just about the highest performing homes anywhere in this region. They have the ability to probably last for 200 years if, if, if they're taken care of. The wood that's in them would have potentially moved 50 miles total from the time it was harvested till mm -hmm. the time it went into the house. And we can probably build one of those plants for less than a million bucks. Yeah. And, and then for the 60 million that it takes to do the traditional CLT plant, we could have 60 plants addressing housing issues all over the Intermountain West. Like, I, I, it just blows my mind to think of. I'm like, that's so freaking cool because yeah. that's a whole lot of people that are running experiments every day, all of a sudden creating an anchoring sense of place for people that wouldn't have it mm -hmm. and doing it in a way that you you don't feel bad about having a 30-year mortgage. I mean, right now the quality of some of the homes, 30 year mortgage, basically by the time the mortgage is paid for, mm -hmm. the house is going to get scraped. Yeah. Usable life is done at that point. It's done. Yeah. That's insane. That is not an appreciating asset, right? So I'm going to shut up and let you ask some clarifying questions. <laughs> no, so you're good. So, you know, I do want to, just for people, we'll try and grab some, some, uh, some photos to kind of bring into the, the visual aspect of this. But so we got the CLT panel, but you know, at your shop, you walk in and you see this, 
you know, kind of what looks like a corner of a bedroom, if you will, right? You mm-hmm. know, you've got CLT building and you've got to have this mock-up to where you can visually see through it and you see all the insulation and you see the exterior hung, you know, and you kind of get a visual aspect of what this would look like in a, in a realistic setting, if mm-hmm. you will, as best as you can in your, you know, 15 by 15 office or whatever. Um, so, you know, let, let's just take it back just a second. So from the CLT panel, when did you guys develop the the thoughts around, or was that in the same time frame of like, well, we've got the we've got the wall, we've got the wood, but we have to resolve the insulation, right. and we've got to resolve the exterior hung, you know, whatever the exterior cladding of this house is, and so now that is what the potential product that's coming out of Timber Timberage looks like. Right. So when did you go from CLT wall? We can manufacture this. We can do this. We can get beyond this incubator stage to this is the product that we can actually build homes out of. Yeah. Um, I think that's a great question. So, so yes, I, I would say that we knew from the beginning that it needed to be an entire assembly. We also knew that that required us, <clears throat> it required us to, to probably build a permitted house, which is just a really hard thing to get built in this area. Oh, in our county? In our you county. You don't mean that our county is not super easy with building permits? Um, <laughs> just yeah, well, I just knew I just knew it was going to happen inside of a couple of years. And so that, I think that was the th- that was the challenge that we had is we were like we've got to practice at the same time as we're trying to get. So it was like even if someone committed to an entire house, we had to do something for the next 2 years. Mm-hmm. And so we use that time to say, well, let's just build uninsulated structures that are less than 200 feet, 200 square feet, because we don't have to have a permit. And so we're like popping up these little sheds, yeah. glorified sheds. They were super expensive sheds. They're amazing sheds. But but we knew that the financials didn't work if we didn't make insulated panels. And the whole reason we were making insulated panels was to make a better home. So So it's always been, you know, focused on trying to create a better home. But, but we had to do something and had to try and, you know, pay some of the bills and, and earn money. And it was really great for us because we got to learn about connection methodology and, and all of the membranes and all of these things that people probably don't normally think about. But if you want a really, really good performing house, there's all these things you have to, we have to, obviously we have to think about moisture. You got to think about air movement. Um, you have to think about where it is, if, if you're taking a shower and that moisture's getting pushed outside the house, where does all that moisture condense? Mm-hmm. So there's all sorts, all of a sudden building science actually really, really matters. And so the whole time we're, we're evaluating different sources of insulation and different membrane suppliers and all of these different things. And so, so I would say we've been thinking about it from the beginning, even though we've been practicing again with that minimum viable product sure. was, which was what would someone buy from us? Mm-hmm. We just, no one wanted to pay for a fully insulated wall because what we were selling was a 200 square foot building. And they were like, I'm not going to live in it. Yeah, and absolutely. so I don't want the insulation, but I'd love what it looks like and yada, yada. So there's all these random things that we're building that are these little, little tiny um, options. But the whole time we're refining it and the way that we're telling the story, I think it's better. And it becomes, and I think this is key, we don't make CLT. Because if I say, hey, we, we're a manufacturer of, of, you know, CLT, and you're like, what's CLT? We start talking about CLT. Mm-hmm. And that's actually not the thing that's going to make 
our communities better. Sure. Absolutely. It's, it is a better house. Yeah. And so I think that was even just a scientist. Sometimes you're just trying to be like super frank and you're like, yeah, we make sealed, you know, it's like, and it's fun to talk about. And, but people are like, their eyes are glazing over and you're like, okay. So it's better to say, have you ever tried to build a house here in this region? Mm. What was it like? Um, what did it cost? And, um, and, and talking to people in, that are in the building trades and saying, I mean, I'm, it's crazy, but for every framer that joins the trade five leave, for every truck driver that joins the trade five leave. And so you've got a supply chain that's going to forever be disrupted and probably only more expensive if you're shipping everything from a long way away. Mm-hmm. And you have all of this field expertise that's kind of been what everybody leaned on in terms of home building for the last hundred years and, and they're going away like sure. that. And so all of a sudden you're like, Oh, so let's talk about, let's talk about environmental impact. Let's talk about comfort. Let's talk about supplying local jobs. So like if you're building a house, all of a sudden those things have a little more resonance and it just becomes the CLT just becomes the vehicle that we're using. Sure. absolutely, and, Yeah. And so, so then I think we, we started saying, okay, what makes it really hard to build here? Um, and a lot of it is it's, it's the environment and it's like, no one wants to be paying someone to shovel snow out of a partially framed building in the mm-hmm. middle of winter. So that, so one of the things that we really tried to say, okay, our system has to go up faster. We were like, okay, what's that look like? Well, that's the the whole volumetric modular, which is a fancy word for shipping cubes. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's pretty cool if you don't have to ship it very far. Sure. But if if you buy something from Fading West right now, you're going to pay ten thousand dollars to get it from Buena Vista to here. Sure. And Absolutely. and there was no value created mm-hmm. in that ten thousand bucks. It's just transporting something here. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, okay, well, let's not ship big cubes of air let's go with this idea of panelized because that's much more likely to get into some of the areas here in the back of a trailer that someone could pull or whatever, you know? So, so we just kind of kept staying with this like small idea. And, and so we came up with, okay, well, let's just build a finished wall on the inside. And what would it look like to be cladding ready on the outside? Mm -hmm. And man, how cool would it be if all of the fastening could happen from the inside so that as soon as you had all of the walls up, people are working inside as much as possible. Yeah. And the other thing that, you know, you notice in, in residential is the number of times that people make trips around the house. And so we were like, could we actually have, you know, a couple people working on the inside, attaching everything one time that you put the the scaffolding up and then there's just one trip around the house and and it's like done you're not yeah. jacking with any of that stuff anymore and so i would say that i think we have a super solid system and we've got five potential buildings that are probably going to go up in 2023 between like now and august where More we get to test like that single family dwelling type buildings? yeah okay. yeah there's three single family dwellings there's a library for a charter school over in cortez um, one of the houses, potentially two of the houses want to go to, to California, one to New York, and then there's two of them here. And, and the one that I think we're most excited about is the town of Ignacio has partnered with Timber Age as well as LPEA 
and uh, the tribe, um, Southern Ute tribe, to build a pilot home that could potentially lay the groundwork for, you know, 40 residences in Ignacio that it's, I mean, it's going to take a huge effort sure. because we're going to have to have subsidies come through and there's like a lot of these pieces, but, but it could be, I mean, one of the, the highest efficiency, um, lowest embodied carbon developments that's ever shown up in the United States, which is really, really cool. No, it's amazing. To uh, think about like 40 homes all yeah. built from wood, right? That was harvested within 50 miles of the place. Yeah. You had talked about in one of our meetings the other day, um, and I thought it was a really great concept. And, and I don't know if this is um, kind of fallen by the wayside because I know that some of the grant funding was lost or wasn't acted upon in a timely manner. But, mm-hmm. you know, there was the, the potential of you guys actually getting to, to build this, you know, 10,000 square foot facility. And, you know, when you were talking about it, you talked about, you know, partnering with, uh, you know, Phoenix Recycling and mm-hmm. using their plastic byproduct or all of their plastics to create your insulation for your homes and reducing, you know, the, whatever methodology they're using to recycle or haul off, you know, you're kind of cutting those down on the emissions. And so it's like all of a sudden, like just in a 20 minute conversation, I'm sitting there and not saying a word cause I'm a, a gigantic dummy. And, but it was just, it was so profound to think about realistically, you know, 90% of all of this could happen within a 50 mile radius of this area. Mm-hmm. You know, we're cutting down on shipping. We're cutting down on insulation. We're already recycling. Why not go ahead and buy that back and kind of redistribute that into these homes? And it was like, it was just checking all of these boxes. And it's like, this seems like, this seems like the product that makes the most sense, you know? And then, so I, I kind of left that meeting and started talking to, you know, some people about it sort of, you know, because I, I do think that, yeah, I am a real estate agent by trade. Um, and I, and I love the job, but I can't afford to buy a house here, you know, and that's, that's really scary. And then I think, okay, well, what about my children? You know, granted the market's not going to continually, you know, increases the way that it did over the last two years, but it it starts to really kind of impact you in a local level of like, well, what do I do? Like, yeah, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, helping people buy and sell homes or land all day long. But if the people that live here and breathe here and it's not a second home or it's not a, we're buying a house for our, our, you know, our son who's going to the Fort Lewis college, you know, that really starts to impact you, you like in a, in a physical way. And it's almost like you feel like this layer of almost, you know, a depression because you're like, well, like I can't even, I can't even function in this community. You know, what am I going to do? And so it's, it really started to impact me in that way. And then I was talking to other people trying to get this concept of what you, you know, and loosely paraphrasing what you're trying, you know, and I can't even come close to articulating what you said and, but just talking about it. And like one of the common like strings that I kept getting back from people was like this, like modular concepted, you know, modular conception, you know, and it's like, well, you know, it's like almost there's this stigma Mm -hmm. around a pre-manufactured or like a modular concept. Right. And it's like, you you almost have to go in there with like a, a PowerPoint to, to show people like, okay, let me just put this into perspective for you guys. Like these three hotels and this corridor of Durango, it's modular construction. These walls were made in a manufactory, you know, a plant someplace in Ohio, or they were made elsewhere and brought into here. Right. And so it's like, we're okay with that because what? We stay there one or two nights a year on vacation and everybody's okay with it. It looks great on the outside, but there's a stigma against you living in a manufactured home. What, mm-hmm. what is the difference? We're, we're actually saving 
time. We're saving energy. And these, these gentlemen, like, you know, coming, having been an electrician for years, you know, the summer months are great working, but yeah, you still are. You're going from the truck. You're going to here. You're going from the, and there's no systems in play because we're constantly juggling different trades. You know, the electricians right. are stepping on the plumbers and this finished trade is stepping on this rough end trade. And so it's like, there's no, you know, uh, practices or procedures set in place that you can do in an assembly line, you know? And so then in my head, I'm going, well, this is way more effective. And then God forbid there's a snowstorm and right. we've got to put up a 30 foot ladder to hang up a sconce. that's a millionaire bought in Glacier Club. You know, <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. This is not cost effective for anybody. And so I found it so strange that that was the, not, not the only, but one of the like commonalities. And I, I think that that has to come from other industries that, you know, you do see, and th- this is, this is not a negative on anybody that lives in a mobile home or, or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a manufactured home on a permanent foundation, whatever. Like those, a person has to do what they have to do in this life to be able to, to move forward. Right. I, I will not put any shade on anybody living in that, but even from a, an appraisal standpoint, you know, a modular home is always appraised less than a stick built home. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, okay, so it adheres to HUD standards. Any more of those have changed and now they're two by four walls and they're two by six exterior walls. What's the difference? You're saying that this is of less value because it was made over here, put on a trailer and shipped to here. So then I'm going, it's still a house. It's on a permanent foundation. You can't get a loan unless it's strapped to that permanent foundation. That sounds real similar to floor joists in a stick built home. And in your exterior walls are two by six. That's exactly what a, you know, a stick built mm-hmm. home looks like. And then, wow, your snow load has to be, you know, rated towards the county. Uh, same thing with a stick built home. You know, you start checking on these boxes. I'm going, what's the difference? It's the stigma that has come with it. Maybe they, maybe for years and years, they weren't manufactured to a quality standard that we wanted or that we got out of a stick built, but that doesn't have to be the case. Right. In fact, in forward. many ways, it's so much more regulated. Yeah than anything that's going to happen in the field. Yeah. So that was the, that, you know, that stigma, yeah. it, it, that's why I wanted you on here so bad is like, okay, this is a product. This is a viable product. It's a viable product for creating jobs in our area for reducing, you know, our carbon footprint and having less impact, you know, using mm-hmm. product that's already like, you know, the, like you said, the force of like using products here. How do we go about getting people to have a mental shift to get around the stigma that's associated with modular construction? And that's a good one. I, you know, I think one of the best examples that I've heard used and that, that I tend to use is how weird would it be if you wanted a new car and, and you started talking with Ford or Lexus or Toyota or whoever, and they were like, well, um, we're going to have to get our subs together and, and we'll try and get everybody to show up in your driveway, right, in the right sequence and, you know, it's, it's hard to get everybody organized. So sometimes you'd be like, okay, I might have my house, I might have my car built, right, in a mm-hmm. year and a half. So, so we take for granted the efficiencies and effectiveness of off-site manufacturing in almost every other area of life except for our homes. And the irony is it's usually the most expensive thing that we ever buy. Sure. So we would never accept someone showing up and building our car in our driveway over the course of several months. Mm-hmm. That's a really good analogy. Actually, that, <laughs> that hits home pretty well. I'd never thought about it like oh that. Oh my gosh, so, it yeah. is. And so, so I just don't, I think that it, but I guess I don't know that I'm answering whatever the deeper thing is. And I, I think what we're noticing is 
so often the main reason that people have moved away um, was in a race to the bottom for the least cost item. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that we have to be so careful because a, a, when, we, when we are trying to make the cheapest thing possible, there really is no win. Because as long as people are valuing price over the quality, mm-hmm. and I think that that's, that's the other piece in, in homes that really makes it difficult is you want, you want the value of this entity, this home, to go up over time, but you're not expecting it to own it for its lifetime. And so the, the housing industry is super confusing because there are all of these different competing definitions of success. Mm-hmm. The homeowner is like, well, it doesn't need to last 30 years. I don't, I mean, I'm going to be here for seven sure, on average, and I just want it to have good resale. And so, so if you're trying to sell durability, you'd think that that would have a ton of value to an individual homeowner, but I don't know that it has as much as all of the instantaneous things that they're going to get, which is going to be, what did I have to pay for it? How big is my monthly note? Mm -hmm. How much does it cost to heat and cool? So that's like one of those places where you start to be able to see um, some some immediate benefit of quality Mm -hmm. start to show up, but you have to be able to tell that story well. And and I think that's, that's a huge challenge. You have, you know, to your point, the the level of sophistication and scheduling is, is terrible. And so for most people, it's like, how do I get in and get out and not have to mess with everybody else's stuff Sure. from a trade standpoint, the general contractor is usually charging, you know, a percentage for overhead and profit mm-hmm. on top of time and materials. And so ironically, they're not motivated by cost either. So the, so the homeowner thinks it sucks. They have to pay this much. The GC is like, oh, those lumber prices, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> terrible, isn't it? Terrible. Yeah. And I love 14% of that number versus that. You know I mean? And so you have like really no other industry in the world. Um, actually, I would say like insurance and the medical field is an interesting one because the people that are paying the bills are not the same people that are receiving the service and in some ways, housing is very similar. And if you look at the amount of waste that exists in the medical field mm-hmm. and insurance payments and all that kind of stuff, similar thing to the homes. But there is a, a McKinsey and, and company did this amazing study a number of years ago. And I will like, I don't know where they got the data from, but they used this idea of in 1965, if you paid a hundred bucks and you said, okay, that hundred bucks gets me this hundred dollars of service. Mm-hmm. And, and the, th- they basically did construction and they did non-farm and they were comparing those two. So, so the crazy thing is in non-farm, which is manufacturing and all that kind of stuff, that hundred dollars in 1965 gets you a hundred bucks. You go 50 years forward, that hundred bucks gets you on average like $300 worth of product. If you take the Toyotas and some of the really, really elite manufacturing companies of the world, it could be $1,600. So that $100 gets you $1,600 of value 50 years later. Mm-hmm. And on average, in non-farm, you know, gets you two to 300 bucks. Guess what it is in construction 50 years later? 
I don't know. Uh, it gets you 85 bucks. Oh, God. Worth of product. Wow. And so, so you're like, it's not that we don't know how to do things better, mm-hmm. but there is something systemically that's keeping us from, from making the leap. Yeah. I mean, every, every framer I've ever talked to about, you know, whatever, if it's SIP panels, if it's, you know, it doesn't matter of uh, your product, they're like, ah, you can't do that any cheaper. I'm like, I, I don't know. Like I would stand to argue that you could, I mean, especially like a one-off. No, you're always going to fail at the first time, right? You're going to officially, mm-hmm. you're going to get better and more efficient as you go along. But like, let's say that the manufacturing facility was done and you had trades crew over here at your with your best general contractor out here and framing crew and all these, and you built a house over here, like in the facility that was already like a steam engine, just going, going, going. I would take a thousand dollar bet right now that the guys inside of that nice conditioned space are going to put that house up faster than the guys out in the, mm. the sweat or the winter. You know, I just, and everyone I've ever talked to, and it's like almost like fear of like losing their job, you know, it's, or something is like, oh, there's just no way. I'm like, why? Because you have a crane. Okay, great. You also didn't pay, uh, you know, a six-man crew to frame this house for three straight days. Right. You know, and they're like, well, yeah, but the crane's – okay. So now we're talking efficiency. Let's say that the crane costs exactly as much as the guys. All right. So those same guys that are very skilled that you've been paying all this money to do those exterior walls, what if they're working on other stuff? Simultaneous to the crane being there. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm, in my head, I'm going, you've got one guy operating a crane, and you've got a tagline holder. As soon as it hits the base – there's two guys anchoring something in to hold it from falling left or right, right? And so I'm going, we're cutting, we're cutting significant man hours out of this equation. And that same amount of man hours can be impactful over here doing something else. Like what? And, and it's, I can't, the conversation always ends on, nope, done it before. I did, I did a project somewhere. No yeah. matter what, the kid could be 18 years old. And he's done a SIP panel project somewhere and it just doesn't make sense, right? It's, and it's not the truth. So I would challenge somebody to, to go, okay, well, like, just give it a chance. If the funding's there, let's give this thing a chance. If it fails, then it fails. Yeah. We move on about our business and we go, man, we've got to re-engineer something better. But I feel like, just like you're saying with the building industry, it's like it's not given a chance to build economies of scale and to, you know, really start to kind of, you know, hone in on how much more efficient can we be. Mm-hmm. You know, same exact house square footage over here. If it's 350, if you cut that house to 300, we may not hit AMI, right? We're not, we might right. not be, you know, hitting attainable prices, but we're cutting significant cost. Right. And then – Add on top of that where, okay, now we've got an efficient product. We've got, an, you know, a, a semi-quasi-affordable product. Um, you know, it's well-insulated. Our impacts for our monthly services, like with utilities, are going to be significantly less because your R value mm-hmm. on the insulation that you're creating here locally is going into this building, and it's light years beyond anything we have today. You know, and so I'm going, we have an efficient build. Like, you're going to save monthly. So you may you may – pay close to the same. You may pay a little bit less. I don't know until you build those first five or six and you go, okay, you know what? Actually, we can, we can beat any stick built home by 40%. If you can make that claim after the fifth or sixth or 10th, that's great. Yeah. But if you can't, if it costs you the same, you still, then what? Like you're going to have fees over here. You're going to have less fees over here. So it's like, which one is better? I can't get any person in yeah. the building community to like look at it and go, you know, we could actually do this. I'm like, it's just an immediate, like, Okay, like, are, are we talking about, you know, a self checkout at Walmart versus a, an actual uh, individual, a person? No, those same jobs come into the manufacturing facility. 
Mm -hmm. They do the same work. Maybe they have to train and do something slightly different, you know, and maybe, unfortunately, they didn't get to spend six months on a single house. Right. But you're working the same amount of hours every day. Well, and you know that we're, we're building roof panels right now for a house and they're eight feet wide by 21 feet long. And so it's an R52. It's, you know, basically it's the, it's the finished surface on the inside and it's ready for the roofing on the outside. It's going to have corrugated. And as you were talking, it just made me think about it. I was like, so, you know, we're going to cover 160 square feet um, of roof. Every time one of these panels goes on, this roof is going to have 10 panels that get set. Um, they, they probably get set in an afternoon mm-hmm. and, and no one's going to have to actually be on the roof for the majority of it. They'll just be able to be on scaffolding in the top floor of the house. So, so you're going to get an entire roof and the insulation and all the finishing and, and, in a day and no one is going to have to be up there on a ladder bent over backwards doing TNG in between rafters. And like, like how would you even get the insulation, right? Someone's going to have to be up there blowing in or what? Mm -hmm. I mean, so like all of that was done without a person being more than four feet off the ground. And so, so even if it was a complete wash, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think people understand what, kinds of costs are paid for workman's comp insurance, especially in the roofing world. I mean, it's like, we are asking, I think that's the other part where it's just like, I don't know if it, if we just want to be tough, but it's like, no, no, you got it. You got a chance to like hold a tag line and be on scaffolding, driving a few screws. Yeah. Or you're going to be on a roof bent over for three days. Mm -hmm. I mean, like there should be no comparison. Yeah. And, and, and I, if I'm honest, there's so much of it that is, that's really what I'm motivated by. I feel like somehow we're rationalizing not taking care of each other sure. in the way Absolutely. that we're doing construction right now. Yeah. If you come from the manufacturing world, like, and you did what we do in the construction world, if you had trip hazards everywhere and you had people up in the air, not t- like OSHA would shut you down in a second. Sure. Yeah. And yet somehow we just make excuses that it's okay for us to abuse people and then wonder why they're leaving. You call them wimps or whatever, because they're like, no, this sucks. Like there's a much better way to make this money and Mm -hmm. take care of my body and the people that love me and make sure that I'm going to be around than, than doing what I'm being asked to do on this construction site. Like we're just, we're just better. We're we're better than what we're asking people to keep paying for and buying and the risks that they're taking. And so that, there's a big piece of what we're trying to do that's that's that as well. It's yeah. just how do we take better care of each other? Sure. Well, I think it's going to take, you know, to me, I, and, I, and I hate to say prove, you know, prove this system wrong, but I think, unfortunately, you've taken the, the think longest right. way around possible, you know, to mm-hmm. to have to do this. And, you know, from the first time I heard it, granted, you guys were whatever iteration you were into this. Like, you know, when I first saw your product, it was, it made sense, click. So year one, you're, you're, you're pitching CLT year two, you're doing this. Well, finally, you've gotten it to this point to where, you know, we're past, uh, we're past having to kind of meet the, the terms of the grant, right? We're not doing Osborne's outdoor kitchen, which is amazing right. by the way, but we're actually moving this into, you know, so it's like almost coming to fruition. So now we're seeing you in Ignacio and you're building these couple of houses in my mind. 
if the, if 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 there's a possible way to say, okay, well, this is our prototype. If we can showcase that prototype, then it's almost like you mm-hmm. get that. You know, it's it's like once the big wheel. You know, it's like this. This guy I used to work for is like classic, like you know, guy from Can- uh, Canada. But he's <laughs> like, you got a small wheel, you hit a speed bump, you're done. You get a big wheel, the thing's spinning, and it just keeps getting motion, and motion. It hits the same speed bump, it might slow for a second, but it's never going to stop. Yeah. And that was his entire model. Like build it as big as you can, you know, steady, slow growth. And you can take a hit here. You can take a hit. You take a sliver out of the pie, but the rest of the pie collapses in on that. We keep going as a, as a whole. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to take that. And I'm hoping that this, this situation you're doing at Nasho can be used as kind of a huge case study. And it will not be as efficient as you wise, you could be in five or six years. Absolutely. You know, there's, and people right. are going to look at that and they're going to say, Oh, well, you know, we could do that. I mean, a house like that is 1,900 square feet. It's a, you know, it's a single shed roof. It's this, it's finished. Okay. All right. Maybe you could on the first product. How many people wasted gas, fuel, all kinds of stuff? Oh, I forgot this, this tram can. Oh, I forgot this, you know, spigot right. from Ferguson's. I had to go from, you know, purgatory all the way back to Durango. I paid for this dumpster. You know, like and how, filled it yeah, with all this stuff that times. I moved out there, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna take that case study to really just showcase this product because you know, and uh, you know, some people don't want a smaller, more efficient house. They're just in that you know, in this, I won't say this is a negative to anybody, but some people want a grandiose, you know, four or five bedroom home, and mm-hmm. you know, they they want that. That's their American dream, and they that's what they want. God damn it, and they're not going to change their minds no matter what. Yeah, that's okay. That's not the product that you're building. The product that you're building makes sense. And that's what, like, when I saw the first couple sets of your drawings, it was like, even if the gentleman that had like the two, like, you know, like the can, it was like a cantilever type thing with Uh possible, like that was so streamlined. It was all straight. It was all cut. It made perfect sense. It got square footage, but it still was modular. It was, it like everything, you could tell that everything was usable. Everything was well designed and thought out. There's so much waste in a house. Like there's houses right now. I just looked at some plans the other day with a builder friend of mine because of the county codes, the, the upstairs, you know, because of the, the square foot of the lot, the amount of square footage can only be X amount per house. Right. So the second story, they had to bring the walls in on each side, three and a half feet. And so they can't use it even as storage, nothing for the county regulations. So they burned up like it was 25 by three feet (laughs) on both sides of the upstairs to meet standards. And I'm like, what? Yeah. That is so wasteful. It's what so are we doing? Wasteful. You know? And so. When when we've got all these people that can't afford one, period. Yeah. So we're just going to burn up this square footage, you know, so multiply that in a track house, you know, uh, facility or, or a, a, you know, a community, 40 homes times that waste. Boom. We just built this house for this person over here for almost free, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm so happy to hear that you are working with Ignacio and, and I don't know if it's a poss- possibility to, if they will allow you to do a case study, but if if you guys do or you know have oh, footage yeah. on it, I I want to yep. see it because it, it's it's one of those things. It's like, you know, I think I brought a gentleman to your facility a month, two months ago or something, and he couldn't just he couldn't the his brain was like, what is this? I'm like, well, I'm this is a corner of a house. This is this is like you know when you go to Home Depot and they've got like something exposed and you can see how it's wired. Like this is a detail like that. Like you know, but in his mind he's like, I got to see one done, and I'm like. Like you can't, you can't imagine there's no, there's no thought beyond right here at, you know, Kyle's office, you know? And so I think that getting to the point of like, 
this is it. It's built. This is how it looks. This is the finished product. Then all of a sudden people can go, oh, it okay. is. I got gotcha, you, you know? Yep. No, it's going to be your picture on the Lego box. Yeah. You know, but yes. this is what the finish, all you got to do is follow the directions. You're right. It's terribly frustrating because, you know, you keep making pro formas and talking about, you know, what's going to happen when. And I, th- I think you're right. I think, I think we picked just about the worst thing in the world to try and do a startup around. It probably also means that uh, that there's the most room for improvement. Absolutely, you know, there's like so much low hanging fruit, and um, and it's it's easy to get up for every day. But you're exactly right. I think you can you can model and you can show sprit. Like, I think that's what we've learned. Where it's like, you know what, I I it's not doing me any good to talk about it. Mm-hmm. It's not doing any good for us to have a conversation. Like, why don't you come with me and let's just go, let's go work on something. Let's go build something because all of the talk is just, it's just drawing us away from the thing that is actually in the way, which is we have to have examples. Mm -hmm. We have to have case studies. And unfortunately we're doing it in a place that it's really difficult to get lots of case studies done. And, and in a time where, you know, I think that that's the other thing that we're realizing is unfortunately we're going to have to GC Almost everything. You will. For the first few of them. Because I've seen that out of the first few meetings. It's like nobody wants to dive into the deep No one will dive in there. And and I think they will for a second, but it's it's not their fault that the spreadsheet that they use doesn't work for our product. Sure. So there's like there's education and there's tools that we have to do and and all of that stuff where you're like, man, there's just there's so many customers in the housing industry. It's different than a software product where you've identified this niche. And these people, and it's like super specific. It's like they drink their coffee like this on the, you know, there's a lot of product releases that happen like that and startups that happen with that kind of a scope. And unfortunately, ours is like, (laughs) it's, oh my gosh, it's just this big bowl of poo, you know? Mm -hmm. And you're like trying to tease out the important pieces in the order that they need to happen. And I think that's why it's so important that we didn't go try and raise $20 million. Yeah, and build a huge factory because is the factory off the docket? Like, or is that ever? I would say it's off the docket. Yeah, or for Um, no. I mean, we would love to actually um, go out and do a raise, not just for for the um, Durango facility, but probably for the next three um, at the end of next year. Nice. Okay. So we'd love to move into three thousand square feet. Is really kind of I think the sweet spot. For this, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily need to be a lot bigger than that. That lets us, you know, we've done, we've built enough stuff. We just, just built our, you know, 360th panel. It was pretty cool. I was like, that's crazy to think about um, 360 panels, you know. And that's that's nothing for some of these places. But for us, that's a big, big deal because there's a ton of learning that's happened in there. And so our ability to talk with confidence about what it takes to do it, I feel super confident. Um, what we need is a backlog. Mm. And so that's why I'm so excited to be able to say, okay, yeah, I think there's like, like we might be reaching the point where if we get deposits, someone's going to have to get pushed to the following year. Mm -hmm. That's where we've got to be. And, and I don't know what turned. Sometimes I think it's just time. Um, But I think a lot of it is, it's just, there's no substitute for all the experimentation that's happened to this point. And, and for us to be able to have, 3,000 pictures that show this was us with like 
yeah. you know, Gorilla Glue and this bag in a garage. And this is, you know, an eight foot by 21 foot gorgeous panel getting mm-hmm. ready to be dropped into place that, uh, that's, that's more efficient than I think anything that, that we could have done, um, in a traditional sense. Are you guys on. already standing walls on the place at Ignacio? Are you to that point or how, so, where does that look like? Well, so I think that's like, that's this thing about, we, we built the floor for it and the assumptions that they made about the site like fell through. And so it was, it was, uh, the land was annexed by the town and, and it, and I think that they're just trying to take care of, of the people that live there. But the folks were like, you know what, it's not, we, we don't want another house there. It's going to get in the way of our view. And instead of moving forward with mm-hmm. that spot, we bagged that whole thing. So it's going to be in a completely different spot gotcha. now. So got to go back to the drawing board as far as re-engineering. You got to try and make the Yeah, uh, It'll probably just move window openings and all that kind of stuff. So really we can't, until we know exactly where it's going to sit, mm-hmm. we can't finish the the window details and door details and all that kind of stuff. And so, so luckily we've got, you know, other projects, but it's, it, there's been like a hurry up and wait that's been brutal mm-hmm. for us because from a staffing standpoint, you know, I, I talked about like, you know, I was working on a panel, mm-hmm. you know, 20 minutes before I walked in here today <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm doing that because like we, we've had, uh, you know, we've had a bigger team and, and we've had some team members, uh, that have left, I think on, on great terms or whatever, but we haven't rehired because it's so scary to to build the production capacity mm-hmm. and then everybody's busy for a month and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, oh, now we're like we're doing improvements. Well, that's not a great return for our shareholders. Yeah. And so we're we're trying to be super cautious about staffing. We're really optimistic about the backlog that's starting to show up. And I think it, it completely changes the way that we get to think about the business. But really, once the once the case studies are done, and so we've just, it was really cool to be, you know, to deliver the first insulated panel, which yeah. happened this last, uh, like, two weeks ago. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's really a, cool. I'll know, show you some pictures because it's, <laughs> yeah. it's freaking awesome. Yeah. I mean, people yeah. here in this city, you know, they may think that it's it's real similar, but it's, I mean, to hear the story to go from, you know, being in your garage and, you know, it's no simple task or feat to get to where you guys are at. You know, I mean, granted, we we talked about it in an hour, but uh, I I just can see see that, and it's you know, I, I, the, there's such a huge future to what you're doing, in my opinion, and and some might think I'm absolutely crazy. You know, um, you may think I'm crazy, but I I think that there's a huge future, and it's just going to be. No, I, I got a lot like, riding on this one. Yeah, <laughs> so, but, you know, it just it makes it makes perfect sense. You know, and and I'm a you know I'll be the first person to tell you I'm probably halfway crazy, but you know when i hear somebody talk and they can convey and articulate not only the details but also the passion in the same conversation like that's what drew me to you in that first conversation with uh i, th- I don't remember if it was at your shop or if it was here at bayfield but uh, you know no it was here in bayfield cuz you know i think we met uh, justin actually introduced uh-huh. us and um you know we were kind of just talking about this and that and the other and it was very cut and dry because we had a specific thing that that builder was wanting us to get out of you. Um, can you do this? Can you not? Mm-hmm. But when I sat in that meeting with you here at the town of Bayfield and watched you articulate with absolute conviction and passion, the, the product, it was like, that shit's going to pop. It may mm-hmm. not be today or tomorrow, 
but I believe in it and it's, it makes way more sense than anything current. And so it's like, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see that the dots are connecting, you know, it's, they, like the they first, are. it's a ceiling yeah. panel, but you know what? It's the first ceiling panel. And I think, you know, the future is going to be huge for you guys. Yeah. Well, you know, the really cool thing is it, it's a ceiling panel made up of five of our CLT panels and, and, and it's within a millimeter yeah. of the way it was designed digitally. You know, it, it all came off the CNC. And so it's, it's sick yeah. to see wood that is made that accurately. So perfect. That by the time you put five of these things together, they're going to be plus or minus two millimeters. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool to be making things that way out of a locally harvested timber you know, with a insulation that's sequestering carbon. Like, I mean, all the things that you've said, we, I, I feel like it's, uh, it's resonating with a lot of people and that's super important. Mm-hmm. So like, just, just you saying, I'm excited about it because you, when you're in the middle of this, you're like, I am freaking crazy. Yeah. Like, what am I doing? Yeah. Like I can't, I can't hit a financial return deadline to save my life. But yet, but yet we have people calling us from, Canada and the best structural engineering firms in America and, and people visiting our plant, right. That are like wood experts for the world. Yeah. And, and you're like, okay, they're like, they're intrigued. So there's something about this. Sure. It's not that it doesn't have legs, but boy, trying to pinpoint timing on something that is like this much spaghetti, it's, mm-hmm. it's a mess, but, um, it'll happen. It's gonna come. Together. It's gonna. It's gonna happen, yeah. baby. It's so gonna happen. That first, that first product. I yeah. think that's gonna be the. Uh, you know, that's gonna be the. Um, the launch pad. Yeah, know? and so that's that's where I'm at with it because you know I have nothing invested in your company. I'm just an innocent bystander. <laughs> but you know, I I kind of had to hold off like talking about it because not only could I not explain it as good as you can, but also it was like I couldn't show a holistic picture yeah and it's like i've seen it though i've seen it on the computer i'm telling you it makes sense so that's right we just got to come back and do this yep. in a year this conversation is going to be absolutely completely different yeah it'll be much more focused yeah. probably even yeah, yeah. so well, thanks kyle, for having me man. thank you so much man i really appreciate you dude. <laughs> yeah thanks so much yeah appreciate it kyle thank All you right. yeah absolutely have you ever felt are you listening damn